Hello, welcome to Mind Chat, the podcast with the lowest production values and the greatest philosophy. My name's Philip Goff. Hello, welcome to Mind Chat. I'm Keith Frankish, a philosopher with very low production values. <laughs> and we are ecstatic to be joined today by none other than Eric Schwitzgabel. Hello, Eric. Welcome to Mind Chat. Hey, thanks for having me. Let me briefly introduce uh, you, Eric. Eric Schutzgabel is Professor of Philosophy at the University of California, Riverside. His research interests include philosophy of psychology, philosophy of mind, moral psychology, classical Chinese philosophy, epistemology, metaphilosophy, and metaphysics. And he's also interested in science fiction, and he has written a number of pieces of excellent philosophical science fiction, which have been published in leading uh, science fiction magazines. A very impressive CV. Eric, welcome to Mind Chat. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you for coming. So Eric. what we're going to do today, so we're, I mean, Keith and I are both huge fans of Eric's work, but we've also kind of got an ulterior motive for inviting him on because Keith and I have both independently been having philosophical arguments with uh, Eric via email for some time now. Uh, I've been debating wh whether it makes sense that it could be indeterminate whether something is conscious. It could be indeterminate whether a snail is conscious. Eric thinks that makes sense. I don't think it does. Uh, Keith's been debating whether we have an ordinary conception of consciousness independent of our scientific or metaphysical theories i'm guessing eric thinks we do we do key thinks we don't so anyway you know how these philosophical arguments kind of go on and on and they never get settled so we thought what we can do bring it onto mind chat and then settle the it definitively exactly in the comments, people can say uh you know which side they defend and why and we can just add them up and and definitively settle it once and for all and then move on so that's kind of the plan for today. And if we have a little bit of time, also want to talk about a little bit about um, a very cool project uh, Eric's got on thinking about AIs that can answer philosophical questions. So we can have that as a little bit of dessert if we get to it. So as always, if you're enjoying this content, please like this video right now. Subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the audio podcast. Write us a five-star review. Comment and so on, because it helps us with the algorithms get this content out to a broader audience. Okay, let's get on with the discussion. So, actually, so just start with a, a little bit of background. Eric is a proponent of a view he calls crazyism in philosophy of consciousness, which is the view that all of the viable options on consciousness are wildly contrary to common sense. And hence, the truth, whatever it turns out to be, is going to be pretty bizarre. And so now I think, you know, many regular Mind Chat viewers and listeners will have heard some pretty wacky views. You know, we've heard people who believe in souls, weird people who think electrons are conscious, <laughs> even some bizarre people who think phenomenal consciousness is, a, is an illusion, doesn't really exist. But... Viewers might think, well, hold on, there is one view that's, you know, pretty normal, pretty non-crazy, namely bog-standard 
materialism, right? The view, you know, phenomenal consciousness exists. Physical science is on its way to explaining it, just as it's explained many, many other phenomena. So you might think, you know, it seems like a pretty, what's, what's crazy about that? Seems like a pretty common sense view. Now, uh, in pressing his case for crazyism, Eric has argued that it is an implication of bog-standard materialism that the United States of America is itself probably, is probably, I should qualify slightly, probably conscious, which does seem like a pretty crazy claim. So Eric, maybe, I mean, maybe first you could just say what you know what that would mean for the for the united states to be a conscious being and why why on earth we should think that that follows from as commonsensical a view as materialism <laughs> all right thanks and um just briefly in defense of uh crazyism as uh in general so that mm. people can warm up to it a little bit i just invite the listeners to think about whether there has ever in the entire history of philosophy anywhere on earth been a well-developed metaphysics of mind that doesn't have some bizarre implications right so even if you look at uh materialists like david lewis right they say some things that are pretty strange <laughs> right so um so that's a kind of empirical case for thinking, hmm, <laughs> maybe there's not a way. I mean, you know, if there were if there were room in the world for a view, whether materialist or dualist or any other sort, that was just commonsensical down the line, you'd think some philosopher would have embraced it at some point. But in fact, no, you can't find any examples. That's my contention anyway. All right, so kind of, that's just a little uh, kind of background plausibility for the view. Um, so, right. So the idea that if materialism is true, the United States is probably conscious uh, relies upon accepting. I'm not sure what you mean by bug standard, but it's a. am <laughs> wondering if bugs are materialists, but. Um, uh, bog standard. Bog st is that is that a is that not a US, is that just a UK expression? Bog standard. Bog standard, like oh yeah. Standard? Oh, maybe that's. I was thinking the bog standard just means. I was hearing. Kind of, I was hearing bugs like beetles. Run of the mill, or you know, normal, non, you know, like not not particularly exciting or unusual. Uh, maybe that's just a UK expression. You you know that expression, Keith? Is that is that just my? Is that something I've made up? It's it's a UK expression. It's a, <laughs> when Eric mentioned yeah. the United States, my map Run of the United the States jumped off the wall. I love your I, There it is, in all its <laughs> glorious consciousness. Fell off. At the, it, it, it moved at the moment you mentioned it. It's <laughs> kind of twitched knowingly, yeah. All right, so... Yeah, yeah so, so I suppose that? I was getting at just standard materialism, not your wacky Keith Franker stuff. You know, consciousness exists. Science is going to explain it, right? Something like that, maybe. Right. Underspecified materialism. I think the 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 kind of idea of crazyism is that once you actually try to specify the details, then you end up with bizarre commitments one way or another. Right. Um, right. So right. So here's the basic idea of the argument for the consciousness of the United States according to standard materialist views. Right. So bog standard 
materialism would normally say I wish I hadn't said it, no. <laughs> that uh, rabbits are conscious, right? It would be strange to think that consciousness was limited to humans or only the very most advanced, complicated social organisms, right? Rabbits are vertebrates a lot like us. They've got brains a lot like ours. It seems pretty plausible that they have conscious experiences, uh, whatever those are. We can get into the debate about defining consciousness later if we want, but let's leave it undefined for now right so uh plausible rabbits have consciousness also plausible on standard materialist views although this is science fictional that weirdly constructed aliens would have consciousness right so if we meet creatures from you know alpha centauri someday and you know maybe they have hydraulics instead of brains like david lewis imagines uh maybe they're constructed internally very differently from us but they can speak like us, have techno technological civilizations, visit our planet, trade with us for rare metals, right? Then I think most materialists, most people would imagine that they have conscious experiences too, regardless of the differences in their interior structure, as long as they had the right kind of general patterns in their behavior. Um, and science fiction standardly relies on this assumption, right? We normally don't think of uh, aliens as being non-conscious, no matter how they're made. Although there are some interesting science fiction attempts like by Peter Watts to try to imagine what it'd be like for, for uh, aliens to not be conscious, but that's not usually how we think about things, right? So, okay. So if you're a standard materialist, you probably think that rabbits are conscious. You probably think that weirdly constructed space aliens are conscious. Right. So then you probably ought to also think that rabbit-like weirdly constructed space aliens are consciousness, are conscious, right? So space aliens that have approximately the intelligence of rabbits and a similar kind of relationship to their more uh, intellectually sophisticated planetary peers, <laughs> a similar kind of relationship between uh, them uh, uh, that we have to rabbits, right? So just like if you had some weird space aliens from Sirius who are intelligent, they might have uh, also on Sirius the equivalent of rabbits that have the same kind of internal architecture, right? So you ought to think then that weirdly constructed space alien rabbits would be conscious. And then the final thought is that uh, the United States is a weirdly constructed space alien rabbit, <laughs> which, you know, I could get into uh, a little more obviously but that but that's the the core idea that the kinds of things in virtue of which we think that entities would be conscious despite differences in their inner inner structure those kinds of features like uh, the ability to respond intelligently to its environment uh, having representations and meta-representations, meta self-knowledge, complex information processing, all those kinds of things that materialists generally think are the kind of signs of consciousness the United States has. Uh, if you conceive the United States in a particular way, and I guess maybe I should be uh, clear about that, right? So when we're th thinking about the United States in this way, think of it as a concrete entity with people as its parts. So people 
compose the United States in roughly the same way cells compose your body. Right. So we're not talking about the United States as an abstract system of government or something like that. We're talking about like, imagine you're a, a planet sized space alien and you look down and you see a bunch of, you know, people and you think, ah, those people are organized into this larger entity, this larger concrete entity. That's the United States. Right. And that entity does things like protect its borders, invade other countries, communicate linguistically with other countries, represents itself, uh, knows who won the most recent presidential election, defends itself from threats, uh, monitors space for, for asteroids that might be threatening it, regulates its smoggy exhalations. Right. So that's the core idea. I cool. don't think people are likely to be totally convinced on that first <laughs> presentation of the core idea. A lot of, a lot of the argumentative work is in, um, dealing with potential objections to that and, and saying why I don't think those objections mm. work or why, if you launch such an objection, you end up in some other bizarre corner of dialectical space uh, where you end up committed to things that bog standard materialists might want to deny. So, yeah, that's great. So maybe to make it a little bit more vivid, I think Eric and maybe one of the people, one of the things people really appreciate about your philosophy is if I can make you blush, the wonderful imagination you bring to this, which, you know, you use in your sci-fi writing as well. And in this particular article on the potential consciousness of the United States, you introduce us to some, to a couple of weird and wonderful imaginary species, the, uh, I've forgotten the names of them now, the, the <laughs> Syrian super squids and the Antarian antheads. Yes. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about these and, and why they're why they're relevant to making the making this case. Sure. I think that part of motivating this case is just getting people to see group entities as potential loci of consciousness. And that's much easier to do if we think through science fiction cases first and then think, oh, okay, maybe the United States is an important rate, important ways analogous to these science fiction cases, right? So the first example I use for this is the Syrian super squids. And this is supposed to get you toward the idea that a coherent conscious entity could be spatially distributed rather than like located in one particular kind of core location. So the idea of the Syrian super squid is that here you have... Uh, intelligent aliens capable of conversation and technology and sociality and morality and all of that. Um, but they're constructed uh, so that their cognition transpires in a thousand, they're sea creatures with lots of squid limbs and their cognition transpires mostly in their limbs and their heads are basically house reproductive and digestive organs, right? And so they've got this super fast transmission among their limbs through uh, light reflect reflecting capillaries, kind of like fiber optics, right? So that's the first step of the Syrian super squids. You imagine, okay, basically you've got fiber optic brain, but it's in the arms uh, instead of in the head, right? And then the fun thing about them is they can detach their limbs, right? So uh, you get a transceiver on the end of each limb and a transceiver on the head, and uh, it can send light signals from the detached limb to the head which then it transmits to other limbs, right? So given that we're talking about light signals, there's basically no time delay. 
as long as these things stay in a planetary environment, no relevant time delay, right? So they can let their limbs rove widely across the ocean. And as long as they've got some mechanism so that they can distinguish their signals from other squid signals, they could be massively spatially distributed with their limbs all over the ocean and still uh, integrated uh, cognitive entities, right? So then you, in that way, you can have an entity that is spatially distributed. Uh, and yet, if we imagine the case in the right way, just as uh, intelligent and articulate and conscious as human beings are. So that's the super squid case. And then you can imagine the the kind of rabbit anal analog of a super squid. Right. I call them squid bits, right? They're basically like, uh, they're super squids, except they've got the intelligence and behavior of rabbits. So the super squids and the squid bits are supposed to get you around the idea of mm -hmm. uh, spatially distributed uh, consciousness. Go on, let's go for the anteds as well. I, I, they're my favorite. They make me feel a bit sick. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that people sometimes say is that you couldn't have an organism that was conscious that was constructed out of other uh, organisms, uh, especially maybe other conscious mm. organisms. And the Syrian squid bits is meant to kind of challenge that background assumption, right? So here we're, we're to imagine that there are these elephant-sized creatures from um, Antares who come and visit Earth. And again, like all of these cases, they talk like us, they interact like us, they're technological and social and moral and talk about philosophy and psychology and philosophy of mind, but they're constructed uh, out of inside their humps and heads is not a brain, but rather 10 million squirming ant-like insects. And if you accept standard views about function and computation, there's no reason that you couldn't implement uh, uh, any kind of complex function at a higher level among a bunch of squirming insects instead of in a brain. All right. So from the outside, they're going to be just as creative and wonderful and interesting as we are. But on the inside, it's 10 million bugs. Right. You could even imagine the bugs sometimes exit the body. Maybe the body dies and they recruit a new body from nutrient tanks, right? And they march off and doing this, right? So uh, in that case, you might have, and it, there's no reason in principle that these bugs couldn't be conscious, just like you might, th you might think it's debatable that ordinary earthly insects are conscious, right? So there we have an entity that is conscious and it's composed of other entities that are conscious at a lower level, right? And you might, we might stipulate that just like ordinary insects, the insects inside the Ontarian's head and hump, they have no cognition of sophisticated cognition about like Shakespeare or something like that, even though the anthead itself is maybe a big fan of Shakespeare. Yeah, very cool. I think in the in the article you have the ants coming out of the mouth maybe at night or something. <laughs> yes, that right. Makes it, <laughs> but yeah, I mean it might be of interest to people that this connects to for example, integrated information theory, which which has these, as you put it, anti-nesting principles that you couldn't have a conscious creature composed of other conscious creatures. So, according to integrated information theory, if you know, it, if a conscious creature becomes part of a greater whole that has more integrated information, like if if uh, Eric and I uh, or the three of us 
fused together and there was more integrated information in the whole, according to standard integrated information theory, we'd cease being conscious creatures in our own right and be a sort of uber goth Frankish Schwitzgabel mind. Uh, whatever that would be like, but um, probably not through the bandwidth yeah. uh, 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 that we're using right now. So we're not in danger, I suspect. Right, right. I think I think we should be all right to the end of this conversation, <laughs> unless we if we don't talk too intensely. But yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I I love this crazy shit. You're not going to get much argument from me, but uh, I mean, as you say, it does help to make it vivid, considering objections. So maybe I could just um, put to you. The, so what you what you what what Eric actually does in the paper is is. I guess consider various objections that have been put, uh, usually in personal cor correspondence before the paper was published, and one by D David Chalmers. Maybe I could just raise that because I think that helps to to bring out the intuition. So, so Chalmers says, well, you know, if you're a materialist, what's important is the relationships between the parts. Right. In like, if we're thinking of information processing in a complex system, it's it's the relationship between the parts that are supposed to ground the cognition. Whereas in the United States, it's more the the parts themselves that are uh, Chalmers thinks, you know, the, 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 the real intelligent bits. And so maybe the, U the U.S. thinking of it as composed of its citizens doesn't really have the right kind of organization to be a mind in its own right, because it's the. You know, it's it's the it's the the people that are the really intelligent things, not the relationships between the people. So maybe, could you maybe lay out? Um, yeah. What you what 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 you think about that? How yeah. So I, I mean, I think that's an interesting uh, an interesting objection. Um, I mean, for one thing, it commits to the idea that there isn't a lot of intelligence that emerges out of our interactions with each other, which I'm not sure. That we should commit to that but setting that aside um one concern about that is that on some models of actual human cognition most of our cognition is done by separate systems not at the level of the brain as a whole or the organism as a whole right so if you think about some kinds of global workspace theories for example what's going on is you've got lots of subsystems in the brain right and then they communicate via this kind of relatively low information, low bandwidth central cognitive area. And in that model of human cognition, most of the cognition is done by the subparts, not by the entity as a whole, right? So if that's true, then according to the principle that you're only, the, the level of consciousness is where most of the cognition is doing, then, then human beings would have many lower levels of consciousness uh, and not one consciousness. And, and then it further commits to, I mean, that might not be the right architecture of human cognition, right? But it seems like it's at least a possible architecture of cognition, right? So uh, so if we go uh, if we go further with the, the, the objection further commits to it's not being possible even in principle to have a conscious organism uh, that works in the way that people who favor these types of views uh, think human consciousness works. Mm. So that's a pretty strong set of commitments. And I think any time that you um, commit to architectural details like that as being essential to consciousness, then you end up running against at least science fictional intuitions, right? Because right, we can construct 
aliens that we intuitively would regard as conscious beings that are physically possible um that would violate these architectural intuitions right. and then we'd have to say okay yeah these things speak and talk like us and we seem to fall in love with them and all that but you know inside it's just it's just blank or it's really just a thousand you know simple subsystem consciousness and not group level consciousness uh, so yeah, those are i think some of the some of the problems with that angle of objection so that's it isn't it it's i guess it's in a way a sort of challenge okay well what what's what is different about the us such that it's lacks consciousness and then whatever someone says you then say well imagine that there could be this strange creature that we would say was conscious but also has that feature that you're saying uh, rules the us out from being conscious someone said in the comments um why does speed of communication between the parts matter but actually i mean eric says in the paper you know well, that shouldn't matter we can imagine creatures that are sort of slower than us but are highly cognitive i just want to say to you i mean going to some, just as you're talking and thinking, I mean, maybe my reaction to this is uh, the one thing that could make the difference is if, well, actually, this I guess this would take us away from materialism, but I'm more and more inclined to deny what philosophers call causal closure of physics, that, you know, everything's kind of, in principle, reducible to the basic equations of physics, everything, what everything does. And so I'm inclined to think like... Um, conscious creatures would behave a bit differently when, when consciousness emerges at the macro level the system that makes the system behave a bit differently so so if the us was conscious we'd see it having its own sort of slightly different behavior because it's a conscious whole rather than just uh the sum of its parts i mean your background assumption here is you know these systems any system, conscious system is just the sum of its parts. So maybe as someone who's more, I mean, maybe I could actually use this as an argument against this kind of causal closure that everything's reducible to basic physics, that systems are just the sum of their parts. Because if we, if we go that way, we're going to end up thinking the US is conscious. <laughs> we're, right. we're sort of reductio ad absurdum. Whereas, um, right. you know, th th this, is, this is the craziness you end up in when you think holes are just the sum of their parts. And, uh, you know, everything's really just atoms doing their stuff. Do you think? Right. Yeah, that's why I phrase it as a conditional, right? As if materialism, materialism is true, sure. then probably sure. the United States is conscious. So there are really kind of three positions that are left open yeah. by that claim, right? One is, you know, this is too absurd, right? There's something, something's gone wrong with materialism, right? And therefore yeah. use it as a reductio of materialism, right? Another position is to say, hey, you know what? This is an interesting implication of materialism. Let's go for it. The United States is conscious. Right. And then the third option is to kind of push against that probably and say, wait, 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 wait. No, let's try to figure out what features uh, humans and rabbits and aliens all share in common to make them conscious that the United States doesn't have. Um, so the, those are all those are three, I think, all right. quite legitimate responses to this argument. Um, and I don't have yeah. I don't strongly favor any one of those three. So I'm th I'm going to take it as a good argument against materialism. But Keith is something of a materialist, so maybe maybe you have some other response to this argument, <laughs> or or are you persuaded that the Un the United States is conscious. I let's ask let's let me ask what's 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 exactly is at stake here. Um, what does it mean to say it's conscious? I think that's what I would want to press on. Uh, I thought um, I might get to this. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess if you're a materialist, then you think that all the facts that are relevant to 
determining whether or not something's conscious or public, objective third personal ones. Pretty much what it is to be a materialist. So uh, I guess if you could give a complete description of what was happening within the United States, all the uh, external sensitivities, all the internal informational processing of the information that's coming into the the, the, the nation system, all of the um, the ways that information is being used to regulate the the national level activities and so on. You just give all this all this uh, get a, a complete description of all this. Then you really know everything there is to know. And the only remaining question from this perspective will be: Shall we call it conscious? Are those processes sufficiently similar to the ones that we paradigmatically call? conscious than the ones that are going on in our heads for us to extend the term conscious to the United States. And that seems to me a question that doesn't have a clear answer. It's, we just describe the similarities. We uh, uh, um, make a decision whether it's useful to, 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 to use the term, to extend the term. But there's no there's nothing hidden from us. There's no question of whether there's sort of something else happening beyond all those complex processes that we've described. And I think there's a tendency, though, when the question is asked, to think that what's being asked is something else. Whether there's a, whether the, the, when you ask whether a system's conscious, it's often this, the way people hear that is kind of are the inner lights on? Is there a private subjective world that exists only for the system itself and that isn't? Um, Oh dear, what's that? Uh, that isn't uh, publicly uh, observable. And so, and this I think is where the absurdity of, the apparent absurdity of saying that the United States is conscious comes in because people think, well, where, <laughs> where would these inner lights be? Would the, would the whole thing somehow have an inner life that is indis- inaccessible to, to, to any, to, 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 to um, uh, to, to, to anyone out, uh, anyone else. Now, so my, well, let's make, try and turn this into a question. Um, is this more than just a terminological matter? That's the question. Uh, right. So let's, before I respond to the terminological matter question, let's, let's just say this. I think, um, maybe follows from your description mm-hmm. that uh, standard materialists might therefore just be happy to say the United States is conscious, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So if your standard materialism is, well, look, consciousness really is about having really complex information sharing in response of sophisticated environmental awareness, um, ability to self-monitor and report states, right? The United States has all of that once you look at it. Right, that's all that there is to consciousness. Therefore, the United States is conscious. Right, so it might seem strange to people who aren't materialists. It might seem strange to people who assume certain things about how consciousness has to be. Right, but mm-hmm. as a materialist, speaking as a materialist, right, we we want to set those things aside, and so we should be perfectly happy to mm-hmm. say the United States is conscious. It kind of there's no reason to think it doesn't meet the kind of the criteria, if the criteria criteria are liberal enough to include mm-hmm. rabbits and weirdly formed space aliens, right. so so I take that kind of reaction to be a kind of 
you know, follow the argument to its conclusion type of reaction, uh, which I'm perfectly happy with. And so, uh, so then for the materialist, it would simply be a terminological issue. Are the similarities, are the, 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 the similar, the, 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 the similarities in patterns of sensitivity and self-monitoring and self-control and so are they, are they strong enough to warrant the extension of the term to, to, the, to, to the application of the term to these systems? I don't know that's, if that makes it a terminological issue, right? Well, so if you have a bunch of samples of gold, <laughs> right? And then you get a new sample of something and then you think, oh, does this sample is this sample gold, <laughs> right? It's not a terminological question whether the sample well, is gold. Well, right? it is because I, I, the reason I said terminological is because I take it we don't have a, a really hard edge definition of what counts as a conscious system. I mean, we're going to want to count lots of, uh, of uh, different creatures as being conscious, as you pointed out, and there, there's going to be a lot of variation in their informational processes and their self-monitoring processes. But, you know, so it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a family resemblance term, I suppose, from a materialist point of view, and there's nothing no sort of categorical property that is either present or not present. It's just, and uh, the question is whether we're going to extend this family resemblance term to. Uh, I'm not relations. sure it's a family resemblance term. I mean, some materialists think no. You know, consciousness refers to some particular set of processes. Uh, yes. You know, that would be a natural kind rather than. That may be a certain type of processes, but I mean, uh, I think there's, there's also a question which is often neglected about the extent of these processes. I mean, say you involve having higher order representations. Well, how many? I mean, just one? Is just right. one higher order representation enough to have reconsciousness? Right. No, I mean, you, you've got to talk about the extent of the system as well, I think, right. from a materialist perspective, because again, there's no question of something categorically being present or not present. It's just a matter of complexity. And so I think it's quite reasonable. I mean, if you if you have a first order representational theory, you don't, you know, don't just having one representation. It's being a system that does this kind of stuff that's there that's <laughs> right. what being conscious is, okay and so you've got to have some sort of mass of it to you know to warrant yes. you know otherwise it's just it's just that but the point is from a materialist point of view there's no further question beyond describing in, in complete third person detail everything that's happening and then deciding whether the label conscious is appropriate for this kind of thing Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I think that's right. Right. right this, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of my view. And once you take that view, I think then the question becomes kind of. Well, I, I think the the issue of absurdity sort of. Just drops out. Why? Why? It. You know. Why should it be absurd to to extend a label, uh, to, to extend a concept in that way? We extend concepts in all kinds of different ways to to things that we, we extend to the concept atom to things that could be split for heaven's sake. So, you know, this isn't, um, um, I mean, uh, the, uh, my point is that from a material, why can't a materialist just say, well, this is no big deal. Um, this isn't can a- I, Can I point out an ambiguity as I hear it in your use of extend? Mm -hmm. Right, so you could think of extending a concept as taking an existing concept right. and yeah. applying it to a new kind of outside of its previous zone right in a way that changes the concept right fair enough. or you can think of it as you know i just extend the concept to a new object without changing the concept right yeah you, you're right you're right i mean what what we should be doing then is is, is just um correctly applying it realizing that things right. fall within the extension of that concept that we hadn't previously realized fell within it 
Um, so we're actually correctly applying it, um, uh, realizing that it applies to things we hadn't thought it applied to. But still, for the materialist, this, this might be a bit of a surprise, perhaps, that it applies to things we hadn't previously thought it applied to. But so what? There's nothing, nothing absurd about this. The absurdity, I think, only comes in when you think that a, a thing being conscious means that it has some sort of private <laughs> subjective world. Um, and you know that is that is that exists only for the thing itself. Uh, and, I'm not uh, sure that's absurd. <laughs> no, 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 no. The absurd, but, no, 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 no. So I don't mean that that's the absurd claim. I mean it's absurd to think the absurdity of thinking that the United States is conscious only comes in when you adopt that conception of what it is to be conscious to have a, a private subjective world. The idea that the United States has one that does seem absurd. Well, maybe it depends on what we mean by a private subjective world. Because I think there are ways well, of reading be. that that materialists ought to be okay with. That, yeah, you know, there, there are ways of reading that in which materialists ought not to be okay with. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, a very strong anti-materialist interpretation of privacy, for example, obviously yeah. was just straightforwardly contrary yeah. to materialism. But there are other kinds of privacy and subjectivity that I think a materialist can allow, at least some materialists uh, can allow without absurdity. Absolutely, and I, and I would agree myself. Um, but I, I think the kind that, that materialists should resist, what all people do, is this sort of the one that's, that we gesture at with the notion of the inner lights being on. If that means, mm. and that which, which <laughs> there being some categorical, well, we, we'll, we are going to come on to the, the vagueness issue. Philip's going to bring that in a minute. The idea that, that at some point, something, there's some radical kind of internal change that, mm. that a subjective world pops into existence that wasn't there before, which isn't just a matter of there being certain processes of self-monitoring occurring and so on, which could be objectively described, that, it, that, that a world comes into existence for the creature itself, um, which isn't capturable in terms of self-monitoring and so on. And I, I do find the notion that the United States is conscious in that, well, I find it fairly, I, I don't believe that anything's conscious in that sense, but I certainly find the idea that the United States <laughs> is conscious in that sense. Um, yeah. uh, uh, so I, I, I think what I'm, trying to, what, I'm, what I'm trying to put to you is the idea that you're suggesting that this isn't this is a sort of a problem for materialism because they have to accept this consequence but it's only a problem if they accept that view of what it is to be conscious um which they shouldn't right uh and if they if they don't accept it then they can just say well yeah okay maybe it has the right sort of internal complexity to be to to be called conscious so what? right yeah i'm i'm happy with that so this is not meant it's not meant as a reductio necessarily, although I think that the fact that it has some unintuitive implications that a lot of materialists want to resist, I found that probably the more typical reaction the materialists give when I offer these examples is not your acceptance, but rather some kind of resistance like, okay, well, here's the thing that's missing, and then they try to figure out what's missing. Yeah. Um, so the fact that there's, this seems at least to some materialists to be an undesirable, unintuitive consequence creates some pressure, some argument, argumentative pressure against just accepting it. 
Well, um, I so would say it's not, that- but but you know, I'm not I'm not offering this as you know, pl- so absurd that materialist ought to just you know that it's an argument against materialism. I I think it would be kind of I like the idea of materialists just saying, yeah, hey, this is an interesting, maybe unintuitive consequence of the view, and I accept it. Well, uh, I think that I, is I, I'm, a potentially interesting, appealing position. I'm quite, I'm quite happy to 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 be there, it provided you know the the, the, um, the similarities are strong. If I don't think, I think you know, if we're going to describe consciousness, consciousness is going to be a multi-dimensional phenomenon, and the only way to to describe it is going to be in terms of it's going to involve uh, <clears throat> presenting it among multiple different dimensions, and uh, so we're going to have different maps of consciousness that are that are in multi-dimensional space, and you know we just compare different different systems, and uh, we'll see that they'll be quite alike in some dimensions, different in others, and so on. Um, but yeah, but I think what your argument does actually is very nicely. <laughs> uh, of course, you know I'm turning it to my own purposes here, but I think very nicely brings out how strongly uh, the pull, many materialists feel what Dennett calls the pull of Cartesian gravity. Um, to the extent that they resist this, it's probably because they do have some uh, uh, implicit Cartesian um, uh, intuitions which, which, um, which make them want to resist this, this, this perfectly innocuous Conclusion. That's how I would t- I would yeah. use it. That's great. So both you and Philip like the argument, but for kind of for opposite reasons. <laughs> we're totally opposite. We both think it can be used. We both think it can be used for our purposes. But this does actually bring out something interesting. About I mean, I, I think Philip and I would would both agree that, that that it's the it's it's the it's the middle ground people, the the people who want to have their materialist cake and their, their phenomenal. What do I want to say? Their phenomenal cake and want to be both phenomenal realists and materialists at the same time. I think we both feel that that's that's not going to work. You've got to be a bit more. You've got to make a harder choice here. All or nothing. You're in or you're out. <laughs> Shit or get off the pot. And so, a, what Eric's doing is Eric's providing us with an argument for, um, uh, you know, for a disjunction there. Um, and of course, now what we need to do is we now need to push Eric to commit to one <laughs> option or. <laughs> Oh, there's a so, third type of person who likes the argument, who says, look, this is very interesting. This shows that our materialist theories are underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do is develop the materials, material, the theories further so that we can really assess uh, this question. And this person will typically guess that once we do that, we'll find that the United States lacks consciousness in the relevant sense, even though rabbits and space aliens mm-hmm. would have it, right? So mm-hmm. then that that way of liking the argument is seeing it as a kind of challenge or call out to the underspecification mm-hmm. of standard mm-hmm. materialist theories. Yeah. So that, I think that's another way of going with the argument. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and well, maybe I- it's more compatible with what you're calling phenomenal realism, although I don't know if we mean exactly the same thing by phenomenal realism. Well, well, yes, well, that, that's that's a maybe that's a whole other show. I don't know because we can, <laughs> we can, I, 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 yeah, I mean, perhaps we don't want to get into that. I think, I think the difference between us and that would probably turn on how reliable we think introspection is. I think that's might be the the key issue. I think it's, 
I'm not convinced that it acquaints us or um, gives us access to uh, a clear, unified explanandum. Um, mm. uh, I think it might be tracking all sorts of different things, some of which are present on in some of these episodes we call conscious experiences and some of which might not, uh, are not. Um, I don't think we know really what it's tracking. And the only thing that unifies whatever it's tracking is the fact that it triggers experience reports and other characteristic indications. Um, I think that probably goes, I th my suspicion is that that's what goes to the heart of, of our uh, difference. And if, 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 if that's true, then that does pose so for me, introspection has, I mean, introspection is relevant because introspection is a source of introspective reports, but the idea that it gives us some sort of um, direct access to to the thing that needs explaining, I'm not, not so sure about. Mm. And of course, I, I'm not sure that, is there, an, is there an, any analogy for introspection within your picture? There's certainly processes of self-monitoring and self-representation in the US, but would they really correspond to introspection? Introspection seems personal level. Maybe they would be just subpersonal self-monitoring processes. I don't know. I mean, could we talk to the the US about its? Could we ask it about its phenomenology? Get it to produce <laughs> phenomenal reports? Well, it does produce reports about its states, but it's not clear that these are phenomenal reports. Yeah. But of course, rabbits don't produce report phenomenal oh, reports sure. either, or reports of any sure. sort, right? So that sure. probably shouldn't be a, a criterion. Um, mm, sure. No, I agree. Yeah. So, and it's not clear that rabbits even introspect. <laughs> Absolutely. I would, I would agree. So, yeah, so I'm not sure introspective capacity is essential to consciousness on. No, I agree. I'm not sure that we introspect as much as we often think we do. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, yeah. we were. Okay. We, we better let Philip um, come back now. I mean, we did also want to talk about uh, Eric's classic paper on unreliability of uh, introspection, yeah. but I think probably too much to talk about. We'll have to have Maybe you Maybe another on again. episode. Um, I just wanted to throw in. Uh, just insofar as panpsychists uh, are very reductionist and you know think everything's reducible to behavior, behavior is reducible to physics, and holes are just the sum of their parts. Like Luke Roloff's, they tend to think you know pretty much everything is conscious, and I think <laughs> yeah. I think Luke would I think Luke would think the United States is conscious, yeah. and um, it's you know it has a very different kind of consciousness to us. So I do. So to my mind, I'm just thinking this as we're talking. Uh, I didn't think this when I was reading the paper. But I think it, to my mind, it's it is more to do with causal closure. With, with whether you're very reductionist and you think uh, you know a whole is just any kind of system is just the sum of its parts and the behavior is just totally determined by the behavior of the parts. Um, actually, I, we, so maybe we'd move on to vagueness, but I just want to ask one more um, question on this topic. So uh, philosophers don't generally say, like, I believe such and such. We tend to talk in terms of credence, which is degrees of belief. You know, you'd say, what credence do you have for libertarian free will or God or whatever? So just to finish off this topic, Eric, do, do you, could you say what, what credence you have uh, for, for the uh, for the, whether the United States is conscious, not for whether if materialism is true, then the, just for just for the, whether the, the US States is conscious. Being conscious. Yeah, my credence yeah. on this fluctuates a lot. I find <laughs> that when I sink oh. myself into the arguments, my credence goes up, and then when I uh, set aside the text for a while, my credence goes down. So I'm not sure I have a <laughs> a stable credence. 
in the where does it go up to and where does it fall down to uh it probably never gets much higher than 50 percent it's pretty Uh, high though. but it's a non-trivial credence right so somewhere between 10 and 50 maybe I'm not sure my credence in panpsychism is is much higher than fifty percent. You know, the, uh, okay. So the what? other thing, what was that? Well, what did I, you say? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's more probable than not. But you know, these things are very uncertain. I think it's the most probable of the options, the most plausible. But uh, you've oh, got some sorry. weird priors. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's not get sucked into a... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to write that down, 50%. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not mu- I said not much more than 50%, maybe maybe 60%. Oh, no, the, I'm going to get kicked out of the panpsychist society. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, as as I said earlier, me and Eric, have, we're debating uh, Eric's view that it, there could be no fact of the matter as to whether a snail is conscious so uh so maybe you know that not not that it is or it isn't that it's it's just indeterminate whether it has an inner life could you so could you maybe uh share with viewers and listeners your views on this topic and then i'll tell you where you're wrong (laughs) right so um only joking of course (laughs) so my views on this topic i think are going to be more aligned with keith's and it's going to be contingent upon accepting kind of some version of mainstream naturalistic materialism, which is my favorite view, although with a credence that's probably a little short of 50%. (laughs) There are multiple options. Um, I also like transcendental idealism um, and other kinds of alternatives. What's what's your credence for transcendental idealism? Oh, I don't know. It could be (laughs) 20-something percent. I'm not sure. I haven't. Uh, they, they're not all stable, and I'm not sure they sum to a hundred. I'm not. That I love ra- I'm not that rational an agent. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't have to be to be invited on my Anyway, sorry, I'm interrupting. So you yeah. Again. So anyway, uh, I think this the the my conception of this is all kind of going to be predicated on some version of mainstream naturalistic materialism, right? So the idea here is. When we think about entities like garden snails, uh, it could be the case, in my mind, it's an open question whether they have conscious experiences. Um, It could be the case that they do. It could be the case that they don't. Or they could be an indeterminate intermediate case where it's not quite right to say that they have consciousness and it's not quite right to say that they lack it. So this would be analogous to other kinds of vagueness that philosophers discuss, right? So... You know, imagine a man losing more and more hair. Eventually, it becomes a vague case whether this person is bald. Or imagine uh, in a personality psychology, someone acquiring more and more traits of extroversion. Uh, at some point, it becomes a vague case whether they're extroverted or not. Right? Or you start with an extrovert and sub- subtract traits until it's vague whether they're extroverted or not. You know, in reality, there are lots of these vague kinds of cases. I don't think our terms are, I think most of our terms actually have fuzzy borders, right? That's a claim in philosophy of language about vagueness that we could get into if you want. Um, But I think that's generally the feature uh, of terms and it ought to be a feature. It, you know, probably would be a feature of the term consciousness too uh, and of the property that that term refers to. And so 
we would need an argument that consciousness cannot be vague. And I know you have an argument and I've considered various arguments. I don't think those arguments work. We can get into why or why not. But then in addition to kind of the general default, default supposition that terms of this sort are going to have borderline cases, I think that there is a pretty strong naturalist scientific reason to think so, because whatever the bases of consciousness are on a mainstream naturalist scientific view, as Keith was saying earlier, it's going to be some matter of having enough of something, right? Like if you're a higher order theorist, you think you have to have some higher order representations, right? It's, one is probably not going to do the trick, right? It's got to have enough, right? Or if you're a global workspace theorist, right? What is a global workspace? Well, it's the kind of thing you come into degrees, you know, how big does it have to be? How global does it have to be? How long does it have to endure? How much information has to be shared, right? All those things are things that admit of degrees, right? Or if you think it's about having a brain and neurons, right? right? How many neurons do you need? What even is a neuron, right? And snails have neurons that are pretty different from ours in certain respects. For example, a lot of their central nervous system neurons don't have clearly defined uh, dendrites and axons, right? They don't have clearly defined input and output. It goes on both sides, right? So their neurons are structured differently from ours. They don't have central brains. Their brains are kind of in clumps, mostly their neurons, their central nervous system neurons are mostly in clumps around their esophagus, right? Rather than like a unified brain, right? So anyway, having a brain, having neurons, these things, all of the kinds of things that naturalists materialists normally mainstream bog standard ones <laughs> normally think uh consciousness uh, are kind of sufficient for or constitutive of consciousness these things come in degrees right so consciousness too should come in degrees so so those are two arguments there's the kind of default supposition argument and then there's the uh the gradation of whatever the basis or con uh, constitution of consciousness is and those are two arguments for thinking that conscious we should expect there to be borderline cases uh of consciousness yeah cool that's very clear so yeah hey i don't mean to bring everything back to panpsychism but <laughs> i just for i so i have used something like this kind of consideration uh as an argument for panpsychism so my paper on this i um i used a modified biblical example so we have in the uh the the, the bible um in the Old Testament, the um, is it Lot is fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah, is he? And uh, yeah. and then Lot's wife makes the fatal error of turning back to just to look at the house that she, you know the place she's the home she's leaving behind, and then God punishes her by turning into a pillar of salt. So then, in my Not paper, a benevolent I, uh, deity, in my opinion, but <laughs> kind of what. Not a benevolent deity, in my opinion. Uh, what she told me, she just come on. She looked back. She deserved it. She she didn't have to look back. It's a capital offense to look at the home you're fleeing <laughs> Absolutely. from. Absolutely. Anyway, God in His uh, infinite beneficence did this, and but uh, but then I imagine, what if He'd done it, or she'd done it, or it had done it? Uh, you know, changing one molecule at a time. You know, to turning her into salt, and you know, it seems crazy there's going to be one slight change that makes her stop being conscious, right? From this, right. you know, very slow procedure of going from human being to pillar of salt. And it seems crazy to think back to being crazy, craziness again, you know, that one molecule change is going to make the difference. So the only way out of this is either panpsychism, everything's conscious, 
she was conscious, the pillar of salt at the end of it. Or consciousness is sort of vague and you get to, at some point you get to kind of indeterminate right. regions. And uh, But anyway, that's like, that was not just panpsychism, but a kind of radical panpsychism that like literally everything is conscious, which uh, right. Keith, Keith likes me. So the me pillar of salt things, is going to be know. conscious too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not some... just its constituent things, right? Mm, mm. Which I take to be closer to Roloff's view than to yours. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, I'm okay. no longer in that in that uh, purist panpsychist phase that Keith <laughs> thought I, that was the the peak of my my uh, philosophical work, um, and it's all been downhill ever since. But uh, yeah. But anyway, let me try and resist this. So wh why I think the consciousness is vague? So, um, so like many people, I guess this is one of my less wacky views. <laughs> I sign up to the linguistic theory of vagueness that which is roughly the view that vagueness is not really a feature of reality it's it's a feature of our concepts we have vague concepts and the reason our concepts are vague is that nobody's bothered to make them more precise so you know the concept of being bought being tall you know you you could you could make that utterly precise. You could say, you know, someone has to be exactly six foot to be tall or someone has to be exactly six foot two inches. Um, I don't know. I guess that's the British measurement system anyway. Or with rich, you could say someone, you know, is only rich if they have exactly a million dollars or exactly a billion dollars. So there are all these ways of making the concept more precise and no one's bothered to sort of go for one of those. And so that seems to be a, a feature, hallmark, is that the word, hallmark, of vague concepts that they they admit of multiple precisifications. That is to say, there's different ways you could make them precise, but no one's bothered doing that. And then when it, so when it comes to the concept of consciousness, phenomenal consciousness, it just seems to me that that doesn't seem to hold for phenomenal consciousness. Mm. It doesn't seem to be the kind of concept that you could make more precise in different ways or uh and it, you know if someone disagrees with that i'd say well give me an example what, what is an example it's a you know con the concept of consciousness just having an inner life having subjective experience something's conscious when there's something that it's like to be it i mean it already seems an utterly precise concept i don't see how the what are the mul well i could just ask them you know what are the multiple ways in which you could make that concept uh m more precise it just seems an utterly precise sort of binary concept already. So, so that's one. The starting point is a huge debate here that we've had that we're probably <laughs> right. in, in email probably not be able to get into all aspects of. But uh, it doesn't seem to have the feet. The concept of consciousness doesn't seem to have the features of vague concepts like rich or tall. In that, it's hard to see how you could have these multiple ways of making it more precise. So it's not vague. What do you think of that? Yeah, um, I th I think there's a lot of intuitive attraction to that way of thinking. Good start. <laughs> I definitely feel the pull of it myself. Um, Getting better. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. But I think I think that part of the pull of that comes from what I think of as an illegitimate imaginative demand, right? So I think we have this feeling like in order to really understand vague cases of consciousness, we would need to kind of know what it's like to 
be in a vague state of consciousness. Uh -huh, what is it? Well, okay, if, gar if garden snails are in between cases, well, what does that mean? What is it like then to be a garden snail? Uh, you try to imagine that, right? But but that demand is paradoxical, right? Because you're asking to imagine what it's like <laughs> to be a garden snail when, in fact, there's, according to this view, n nothing determinately that, that it's like to be a garden snail, right? So, so the demand builds into it an assumption of the falsity of the view under discussion. Right, so, so it's like saying, okay, what is it like to be borderline bald? And then saying, okay, and then having some kind of constraint on your imagination of what it's like to be borderline bald that only allows you to think of, you know, truly bald people. And then you're like, ah, every time I think about it, I just picture a completely bald guy. And then saying, okay, there can be no borderline bald cases, right? Because there's something about the imaginative demand that focuses you on cases that are not in the indeterminate range. I don't know if I articulated that very well, but that's the, I think that's part of what's going on here. Isn't, isn't possibly one moral of that, that, that this uh, seductive phrase, what it's like, isn't really as helpful as it seems. Yes, it's seductive. No, no, yes, it's no that's not a moral. <laughs> Yes, it's, it's seductive, and uh, we kind of get what it means. Though I'm told that it doesn't have this um, um, seductive uh, appeal in, in in other languages, um, in some other languages. It invites us. You... It invites us to yeah. do this. It, invite, it, it, it just it positively encourages us to fall into the into the uh, in, into the orbit of Cartesian gravity. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, this uh, one more. I think of that phrase one. is unhelpful in this particular kind of. And maybe that's a sign that 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 perhaps it's not as 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 innocuous as it seems in other contexts. There are contexts where you know we feel quite happy with it and it seems innocuous, but maybe it's subtly mm. malign in all its applications, and maybe it's worth just <laughs> just just being a little more dubious of it. And, mm -hmm. uh, Precisely because it, it, it takes us into these uh, into these dead ends. I think that's quite possible. I'll do I mean, that. I think I think actually there is another option here uh, for the for the materialist. No, 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 oh. not my own view, but oh. for the materialist. Oh. Um, I mean, a certain. Oh, I don't want to. I don't. I'm, I'm hesitant about whether this is going to get too technical. But a certain kind of materialist. David Papineau has interesting work on. On, on, on arguing that consciousness is vague. And he's the kind of materialist who says, um, in a sense, we don't really, we don't know what it is for something to be conscious. Just as like, uh, at least the concept doesn't reveal that to us. So, yeah. you know, like the concept of water doesn't tell us what water is. You know, people had the concept of water for 100 years. They just kind of point at this stuff mm -hmm. and it turns out to be H2O. So Papineau thinks something similar about consciousness. Yeah. When we talk about consciousness, we're just sort of, pointing inside ourselves we don't know what the hell it is and so because we sort of don't know what consciousness is until we do the neuroscience it's not surprising that we don't know how to make the concept precise because we don't really know fully what the concept is in a way or we yep. don't even you know we, we don't know what the concept is pointing at 
Um, so I think, you know, we have to bring in, we have to sort of take the anti-physicalist thing of saying this thesis of revelation that actually we, we do know what consciousness is through our immediate acquaintance with it. We, we, we fully understand the concept. And so in that case, if it is a vague concept, if it can be made precise in these ways, then we ought to have access to those ways of making it precise and we don't seem to. <laughs> and just, I mean, coming to Eric's, Eric's, I mean, yeah, Dave Papineau has this weird view actually that the, its concept is kind of radically imprecise and on one way of making it precise, radically imprecise, and one way of making it precise, it just means the property of being physical. So on one way of making it precise, panpsychism is true. No, not many people have noticed that in his, in a footnote in his work. Anyway, um, <laughs> but coming back to Eric's point, I guess yeah. I would say that's, that's not necessarily the way you have to construe. Why do we have to construe it in, in the way you did? I mean, we could just think, well, no, it's just the concept ought to have multiple ways of being made precise. And if I sort of fully grasp the concept in the way someone, an anti-physicalist like me would, so uh, then you ought to have access to those different ways of making it precise. I don't see why you have to construe them as a sort of, knowing what it's like to be in the state obviously for the reasons you said that's not going to work it's but that's i don't see why you have to construe having access to these multiple ways of making it precise in that way so it's getting a little bit technical isn't it but anyway not not for you eric but maybe it's just for, so. <laughs> yeah i mean i guess part of the root of our disagreement here is going to be regarding revelation right this idea that yeah we have a full understanding of this concept of consciousness. I, I'm not, I don't think it's radically imprecise in the way that Papineau thinks. Um, but I also don't think that we know the essential nature of conscious experience simply in virtue of introspecting the fact that we have it. Yeah. Right, so here I think I'm a little between you and Keith, right? Where uh, I'm going to deny that that kind of revelation idea, um, but at the same time, I think that when we introspect, we we land on a pretty clear target. It just is a target with kind of that's uh, going to have gray zone cases. Mm, right. So do you? Yeah. So do you think if? Uh, so do you agree with me? Yeah. I mean. All sorts of conditionals flying around today. I would say, if revelation is true, the thesis that we have access to the essential nature of consciousness through introspection, if that thesis is true, that is sort of implicit in in most anti-physicalist arguments, because the idea is, you know, we know the. I mean, just to just to put this point in a little bit of an intuitive way, it's a big argument, but you know, a pain is just. A feeling and it's a pain a feeling is defined by how it feels and you know how it feels when you feel it so you, you know essentially what it is i mean that's a very rough and ready but that's a kind of intuition uh, and then so, so the thought I is i disagree with both of aspects of that yeah. claim right i i don't think you know how it feels when you feel it and then furthermore you make this, right, right. this claim about essentialism which i would independently disagree with because of my views my nominalist views basically about essences actually i i would qualify that because i i would say yeah i mean I, i'm happy to agree with you i'm not some kind of cartesian introspection gets everything right the way i put it now is i would say to the extent that we know how it feels 
Mm. To that extent, we know it's essential nature. Mm. Um, so it's really not the. So it's really the the essentialism versus the nominalism, maybe that we're going to disagree on, rather than the perfect introspective access uh, to how it feels that we disagree on. Yeah. So what do you mean by nominalism? Um, well, basically, I think that what we call essences um, are features of our thoughts or models or categories rather than features of the world right mm, so think about bachelor right yeah you know it's essential to being a bachelor that you're unmarried right but it's not like you know you point to an unmarried person and then say ah that person is essentially unmarried <laughs> right? right um right so you can build whatever you want to into your concepts so that you can say, yeah. ah, therefore, once I've applied this concept, necessarily such and such is the case. But what that reveals is something about your concepts, not something about the fundamental nature of things. Mm. Yeah, that's nice. So, yeah, I think in an email you set that up to me, like either we build loads into our concepts, but then we don't know whether the concepts mirror reality. Or we, do, or maybe if we build nothing into our concepts, they're just sort of pointing at things. Maybe we can be sure that they map onto something in reality, but then we don't know what the hell they're mapping onto. I guess exactly. I would think in the exactly. I, I guess I think that's 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 true across the board, except for consciousness, because you know we're directly <laughs> aware of its right. character and so on. But um, but hang and, on, you, yeah, made, you, you made no. Let me let's just go back a little bit because no. you made some concessions to Eric then, uh, earlier about insofar as we know what it feels yes. like. Okay, right, so now hang right. on. Given the, the the role that revelation plays in your in motivating your view of consciousness, I mean, that's hang on. You need to be a bit more precise. You know, well, so you know, well, that sounds like a heavy qualification on what's revealed to us. Well, I so, but, but I I think we do have we do in ordinary cases have a pretty good grasp on what it feels like. So. Uh, so so yeah if we just if we just had no idea what pain felt like then that would be a problem for the rev the, the nuanced revelation thesis i i outlined but you know we have in most in a lot of cases we have a pretty good idea and so we have a pretty damn good idea what the essence is and you know if it, if it if it was had a totally physical essence then we we ought to have access to that if, if we have well, a pretty good well, it grasp on what, 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 the, anyway, so. what the pretty good is. What if what if the, what if the pretty good bit is just a fairly superficial grasp of its of its of its, you know, we know kind of how it how we're inclined to describe it as being what you know, um, without having it. Maybe the bit that's not pretty good is the is the precisely the uh, insight into its real nature. I mean, what's being what, what's <laughs> When you say pretty good, when you imply that's, that, that we may be ignorant of some features of it, wh which features are these? They can't be the deep sort of real nature of the thing because you want to say we well, do have access is, in, it's, to that. I'd, I'd, so what's the bits that maybe I mean, we I miss? Don't, it's not that like we grasp the feely bit and then there's another bit. It's, it's essentially defined purely by how it feels. That's the concept. Uh, it's just yes. something. No, no, no. I think the reality is essentially defined by how it feels. But some t all I'm saying is sometimes we, in little ways, get it a bit wrong how it feels. You know. So we, we, uh, you we know, choose but, the wrong, but, we apply the wrong concept. Uh, we, we, we get we know, it, yeah, we, we get it a little bit wrong, but, but, but we, get, we get it largely right. Like how when it we feels, do get it right, we get it deeply right. Uh, is that it? Well, how it 
how it it's essentially it, how it essentially is is defined by how it feels, and we more or less in good cases we more or less get right how it feels. Uh, just you know, and I mean another I like thing you can do is just qualification. Yeah. I wonder how much it depends mm. on how common it is to make errors. I mean, this gets into another aspect of my work that we thought maybe we wouldn't talk about, right? But one thing that I noticed is that when people talk about our excellent introspective knowledge, they almost always, and you are an example of this, Philip, either talk about pain or the canonical fulvial presentation of bright colors, (laughs) right? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Right. And you don't say, ah, you know, the image I now am having of my house as viewed from the street about that. I have perfect introspective knowledge, right? Right. You know, those kinds of cases, which I think might be, or my visual experience in the far right periphery of my visual field when I'm not paying attention to what's going on over there, right? Those might be probably like the standard case. So there's this kind of cherry picking of a few particular cases where it's especially hard to go introspectively wrong. Now, if if all you need is one case <laughs> or it's like, yep, I'm right about the fact that I'm in pain and maybe I don't know every like little detail of how it's presented to me, but that I'm in pain, you know, that I'm not wrong about. Just one case of that and that's all you need for your argument, then, you know, I'm not going to disagree with that, right? Um, but does it, no, so does it matter to your argument if it turns out that we're often wrong about most of what's in our experience? I would say, I would say it doesn't because what we're, what we're, ulti- what I'm ultimately interested in, it depends what we're trying to do, of course, but is the, you know, is the general nature of consciousness, you know, can conscious states in general be accounted for by physical science? So it's not like, you know, can this very specific, uh, you know, and, and in fact, a way to avoid all this, I'd, I'd say we could just talk about revelation about the general concept of phenomenal consciousness. So I think we understand that just like you might not understand, you know, some very detailed shape, but you know, in general, what it is for something to be shaped. So similarly, I think we That's know, in ge- we know in, we general know in general what it is, what for, it is for something, for something to be something. shaped. Do we? Do we know in yeah. general what it is for something to I be shaped? I would say so. That sounds like a fact about geometry. Mm-hmm. And I bet if we got in a debate with a serious philosopher of geometry, they could confuse us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good enough at, at the philosophy of geometry to confuse us about the essence of shapeliness. But, um, but I stand... Uh, quite prepared to be confused about that hang on well, Eric, we need that, some yeah, that's an example of geometry yeah. in the comments Go, sorry. that's an that's an example i might remember to use against you eric so, uh, uh-oh <laughs> <laughs> i you, 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 yeah, never mind but, uh, you can see how i can how i can turn the debate onto that we tended to have keith but exactly I, but, you can but I'm see how sure. i can sure i'm not sure that will... um go for you <laughs> Let's say one more thing on this, and then yeah. uh, I mean, just well, just a question, because but I suppose, do do we agree that if revelation is true, then consciousness is not vague, or do you dispute even that? I'm not. Um. So if we I grasp think... the essence of consciousness through introspection, then it can't be vague. I guess I'm not 
ready to positively assert that, but I'm also not committed to denying it. Mm. I'd have to think it through a little more. I mean, I think cool. our That's ordinary allowed. concept seems to not have much room for vagueness, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Can I actually just one more, one more quick question, which is, what about integrated information theory? Because that's uh, that does give utterly precise boundaries to consciousness. So yeah. when there's when the whole has more integrated information than the parts, you've got consciousness yeah. at that exact. And that you know is I think compatible with materialism. Or uh, so so what's why doesn't that avoid this problem? Can't we can just say. Bog right. standard materialism, consciousness is not vague. And in fact, that is why that is why I favor <laughs> of the options. I favor the integrated information theory for this philosophical reason. Oh my gosh. That yeah, it, integrated it, information it, theory has so many interesting and unintuitive implications. I agree that as it is presented, uh it is it does not allow for vagueness. Um but I would not call it bog standard materialism. It's got a lot of pretty wild implications. Um, my favorite of which is this, right? If we had an election with enough ballot measures structured in the right kind of way, then we could presumably at the level of say the United States or some polity, right? Have more information at the group level than at the individual level more integrated information by their calculation, which would result in everyone at the same moment losing consciousness without realizing it, right? And there would be one specific ballot that came in, right? That one thing that put you across the bright line, right? So like, you know, maybe the ballots, there's one stray mail-in ballot that comes in, it comes in, the information is integrated, suddenly everybody is not conscious. It's back to the the US US that's a pretty wild implication. <laughs> I'm not saying this proves that it's false, right? But there's a bunch of stuff like that that comes out of but, um, information. Is that right? I mean, not, we, this fits with the crazyism thing, of course. We right? had Christoph Koch on, and uh, I was saying, you know, if you got the internet was sort of enough going on, then we'd all stop being conscious. And he was saying that that's not the case. Yeah, uh, I, I know he oh, wants to say it's not the case, but he, he does not <laughs> have an argument math. that it's not the case. He just... The argument is information theory is true and we're conscious and we're not at risk of this kind of thing. Therefore, it must not be the case. Not I've not seen from Tononi or Koch or any of those people like an argument for why okay. you couldn't in principle put together enough integrated information at the polity level to have a higher phi at the polity level. There's no there's no principled argument that that's not the case. Mm. And in fact, it seems like it should be a natural implication of the theory. Um, just okay. Before actually, I I I like little modified versions of integrated information theory where we maybe drop the nest the anti nesting principles. That right. I mean, like two thousand eight version of so, integrated information, yeah, information we, theory did not have the anti nesting principle in it. I mean, we had a conference on IIT in New York many few years back now, and that's what the philosophers were trying to press. You know, there's like a cool idea here, but maybe we can tweak it in different ways. Had to hustle. Merck has got a version in the context of panpsychism and stuff and but uh tononi is very against that he said like no we've got to have the pure form and um um just um we've had really really great comments today just to say which i forgot to say earlier 
Uh, we will we'll have time for questions uh, uh, in, in not too distant future. So hang on to your questions. Um, but Keith, maybe you wanted to ask some AI related stuff. Ah, right. Yes. Um, well, um, I know once uh, changing the subject a little bit, though not too much. It, I know one thing that uh, that Eric's interested in, and that that I'm, I think everybody's interested in right at the moment, are large language models, um, like ChatGPT. And I know you've been working on a project with um, with Anna Strasser, and, and and also I think with your son David. I think yeah, um, that's right. On uh, developing a, a, a digital a digital avatar of, of Daniel Dennett. I should just say that. I, I, Digidan. I, as Digidan, we, yes. As we affectionately refer to it. Trained, which you, you trained a version of, of uh, uh, was it GPT-3? Was it, it was on, GPT-3, yeah. On the corpus of, um, of Dennett's work and then got it to produce answers to, set, to, to a bunch of questions. And you also asked Dan uh, himself to produce answers to these questions. And then you sent the results around to a bunch of people who knew Dan's work and some who weren't so familiar with it and asked them if they could pick out the real the real one. Yeah. And uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and what happened. <laughs> right, yeah. So yeah, so we fine-tuned uh, the Da Vinci model of GPT-3. You know, this is the slightly earlier basis of chat GPT. Uh, not, uh, it's a little different than that, but um, basically a version of uh, a GPT. We fine-tuned it on the works of Dan Dennett, uh, which means basically that we caused it so that its internal connection weights would more closely resemble uh, the way that Dennett writes uh, than its usual um, patterns. And um, then we posed 10 philosophical questions, to, and we call this thing DigiDan, right? Uh, um, um, I should say uh, Matthew Crosby uh, was also involved in this project in the early programming. Um, so, uh, right, so we posed then 10 philosophical questions to DigiDan, as we call it, uh, and we got, we did it four times. We got four answers for each of these questions without cherry picking. That is, we didn't choose particularly the best answers. Now, if an answer was too short, uh, we excluded it. Um, but, uh, or there were a couple other pretty mechanical exclusion conditions, but basically we just got four answers from DigiDan for each of these 10 questions. Uh, and we asked Dan Dennett himself the same 10 philosophical questions. So then we had five answers for each question, four from uh, DigiDan and one from Dan. And then uh, Dennett and uh, Anna Strasser both found people who they thought were very familiar with Dennett's work. We found, um, I think it was 25, maybe more than that. Anyway, something in that in that uh, ball, uh, ballpark, number of people who were highly familiar with Dennett's work. And we said, okay, can you guess which is the real answer from Dennett and which is the answer from DigiDan? Uh, so chance would have been 20%. Uh, what these Dennett experts, as we're calling them, got was in fact 51% correct. So they did better than chance, but you know, not they weren't anywhere near ceiling. We had thought they would get about 80% correct, and they didn't come anywhere near that. Uh, and there were two questions yeah. where the plurality of experts chose an answer other than Dennett's own. 
Uh, and on one of those questions, Dennett himself said, oh, you know what? I see why people were confused by my answer and why they like this other answer instead. I should have said something a little different. You know, so arguably on that question, DigiDan outperformed Dan himself. Um, so, and that's what GPT-3, we, 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 we're thinking of trying to do another version with GPT-4, uh, maybe again with Dennett's corpus and, and uh, we're talking maybe about doing it with uh, David Chalmers' corpus as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, it might be kind of fun to have uh, DigiDan and DigiDave have, uh, have a debate. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, what do you see as the philosophical significance of this project? I mean, I can see that th th there are all sorts of practical concerns uh, that this raises about um, a kind of, well, about uh, impersonation of real people by um, by 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 um, AIs or by people using AIs, um, you know, kind of corruption of the uh, of the corpus. If 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 material produced by DigiDan gets to get fed into <laughs> the DigiDan too, right? And then you end up with some kind of feedback problem. Yeah, exactly. And then and so there's an increasing body of material out there that's be, that's being uh, flagged as being by Dennett, but isn't. So that could you know pollute the the um, um, the literature, uh, and of course, and it could reduce trust, I suppose, at the same time in stuff that is genuinely produced by, by, by him. Yes. Uh, and so they, and then also, I suppose, about copyright. I mean, if somebody produced an article uh, using this uh, and put it out there as their own, um, would they be plagiarizing Dennett's work? So I can see all sorts of yes. of ethical worries, of very serious ones, which I think we're going to have to confront collectively. Very, very soon um yeah. do you think do you think those are the that's the main lesson of this or do you think no i don't think that is although i do think well i mean it's certainly a lesson yeah and i share those concerns and yeah. I, I let me let me just say um first we have promised to dennett not to share any of the outputs or the model with anybody else without his explicit permission okay. right. right so he has control over all of our use of the outputs. Um, and furthermore, we think in general, uh, it should always be explicitly labeled as coming from a model if it is, right? We should yeah. not invite confusion about whether something has come from a model or from the real person, right? Yeah. So okay. those are two ways of trying to handle these ethical concerns. Because I think um, you're totally right. <laughs> there are all kinds of ethical concerns that come out of just um, unrestrained, unfiltered use of models like this. Yeah. Anna, Anna's adding there, she's in the comments, the training data with which we fine-tuned the GPT-3 were manually edited, which was a tedious job. Anna put so many hours into, into that editing. Yeah, that re represents a substantial intellectual labor on her part. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, right. But I don't think that's the right. only implication okay. of these, right? So one of the possible uses for this, and I think this becomes an increasingly viable use as the models get better, and it would be kind of cool if GTP4 were better in this respect, right? Is to do something like what artists sometimes do with... Um, you know, stable diffusion models, uh, or that musicians sometimes do with models that create music, right? So you can program 
and AI to create music that's kind of like make it make some music in the style of Bach, right? Or you know, lots of people know these these art models, right? You know, you you type in some text and then you say, you know, make an example of a butterfly landing on a unicorn's nose, right? And then it creates you know that kind of stuff. Now, a lot of that stuff is not very artistically interesting, but some of it kind of is, right? So what an artist could do is create these things and then choose some of the best, maybe further edit them, and then endorse them, right? So this is something that Dennett has expressed as a possible further use for this kind of thing by philosophers like him, right? And mm -hmm. that we also agree with. Uh, you could create, if you wanted to, a digital model of yourself, ask it questions that you're thinking about, see what answers it gives, and then contemplate whether those answers are answers that perhaps with some modification you yourself would endorse. So this could then become a tool for your own philosophical thinking. So I'm immediately thinking here of uh, things like what the extended mind hypothesis, that this could be a, a way of enhancing one's own creative powers. Yeah, right. Yeah. Ah, so, uh, as I could do with that. Yes, I think we could. There, there were days when there were days when we could certainly do, um, and and yes, and I suppose if everyone had had one of these, it, would it be possible to network different models so you could collaborate and? Um, yeah, uh, right, right. That's another possibility. So, um, I see Anna had dropped some things in the comments which I'm not seeing. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that you know, since she's a collaborator on this, absolutely. Not, missing important things in her voice on this but 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 while maybe you're checking that you could potential here's another potential use right someone could this would be totally optional on their part right um create a model before they die of themselves yeah. and then give people permission to use that model in the future right yeah. so maybe you're someone who has lots of productive conversations with you know digidan yeah. And Dan says, okay, you know, you can let DigiDan continue after I've gone and have conversations with DigiDan. And DigiDan's not quite me, and it's not saying the things that I would say. But if you want to collaborate with it and you find that its responses to your queries or your dialogue with it is philosophically useful for you, you know, that's that would be a good thing. So we're talking perhaps about uh, a form of limited survival uh, if we want to uh, if one likes to think about personal identity in terms of survival rather than absolute identity that mm -hmm. uh, this might be a way of preserving something of oneself after one's death uh, yes right so you know to the extent that what is important to you mm -hmm. is your patterns of verbal interaction with people yep and to the extent that it could capture and preserve those patterns, then, you know, something that's important about yourself will potentially continue. So I'm, I, I, I'm I, I guess to... then as a prediction then that, I mean, I, I imagine that's a thing that would appeal to lots and lots of people. Um, and I could imagine this, do you, do, you, do you envisage this then being taken up quite widely, apps for doing this, being available, and, uh, widely available and widely taken up within the next decade? Like well, that. I think there already are some yeah. things in that direction, right? So you can, uh, 
you can do kind of digital forms of mourning for the deceased where you have uploaded, you know, the history of their emails and their texts and right. their social media posts and stuff like that, create a kind of custom voice for them and then, you know, have conversations with this digital replica avatar or whatever of them. And some people find that to be an interesting and meaningful thing to do. So it already is some version of this already is happening. Okay, so then uh, a follow up then to that would be, do you think then that as this as this is taken up, and it seems hard to imagine that it won't be, and as it becomes more and more refined, and uh, the avatars, these avatars become more and more lifelike and uh, realistic, do you think that's going to change our sense of what it is to be a person? I think it's possible. Yeah, I think it's possible that it will change it. Although I could see it changing in either direction. Yeah. Right. You could imagine that people decide that what they really care about is this kind of stuff. <laughs> right. And therefore something super important about their personhood has survived. Or you can imagine a kind of a reaction yeah. against it and saying, okay, well, you know, you can create that kind of stuff, right? But clearly that's not me. And so therefore that kind of stuff we now maybe understand is not essential to, yeah. to our sense of personal identity. So maybe there are the roots here of quite a, quite a big cultural di division that, that's perhaps going to emerge between sort of a firmly rooted biological conception of identity and a, and a much more fluid um, AI uh, incorporating one. Yeah, this reminds me of uh, a paper by Pete Mandic yeah, yeah. from maybe like yeah. 10 years ago or something like that, yeah. uh, <laughs> right? Where he says yeah. you're going to have people with different kind of conceptions of yeah. identity and consciousness and continuity. And the ones that have kind of pretty loose conceptions that allow duplications in computers to count as really them, right? They're going to create lots of themselves. Eventually, yeah. they're kind of going to take over society and leave the the kind of conservative, conservative, biologically oriented people yeah. kind of in the dust, almost regardless of what's metaphysically correct. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that paper. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's it's fascinating stuff. What do you think, Philip? I'm, temp I'm tempted to quote Woody Allen saying, "I I don't want to live on." on the internet i want to live on in my apartment was, you know. <laughs> i don't know i mean i do i do have a dystopian fear that we're going to all upload our minds and thinking we're getting immortality in the utopia and we're just turning ourselves into zombies and that'll be the end of us but um mm -hmm. i guess i'm kind of old school you know um but you you have written eric on um rights for ai right on uh yeah thinking about yeah. Do you want to say a little bit about that? But why don't why don't we if people want to put up questions yeah. now, if you put a queue and then while people are putting up questions, maybe you just say a little bit about um we should we should have a mind chat on AI actually, shouldn't we? This is absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. I'm I'm right I'm writing something on, on, on um this stuff next week actually. Anyway, but yeah, maybe say a little bit about your thoughts on uh rights for AI. Yeah, so a lot of this is collaborative with uh, Mara Garza. So let me just mention that up front. Um, so I guess Mara and I are inclined to think that if we create AI systems that have all of the features, all the psychological and social features that human beings have, then they would have moral status similar to that of human beings. 
long as they have all the relevant kinds of psychological and social features that ethicists tend to recognize as important to moral status, then we ought to give them moral status. And in fact, we would have more obligation to such systems than we would have to ordinary human strangers because we would have been responsible for their creation, right? So the, the, the obligation would be similar to that of a parent to a child or a god to its creation, right? So, so there's a, I think there's a basic case to be made for AI rights conditional upon those AI having whatever the features are that are essential to an, an entity having uh, moral status. So we might be a long way from that, but I think we don't know that we're a long way from that and that we're what we're going to enter into, and this is kind of the second dimension, second main dimension of our thinking about this, we're going to enter into soon, probably in the next decade or two, we'll enter into a phase where we have AI systems about which it's legitimately disputable whether they are conscious, sentient, capable of genuine pain and pleasure or not. Those would be cases where we're kind of confused <laughs> and we should be confused about the moral status of AI. We'll have some people who have liberal materialist theories of consciousness who say, hey, look, this thing's got a global workspace and self-representation and all that kind of stuff that we were talking about a little bit with the U.S. case, right? So it's really conscious and it's really going to have, you know, sentience. And so we ought to not cause it to suffer. And there'll be people with much more conservative views about what it takes to have consciousness. Maybe people who are certain kinds of dualists or people who are kind of think having a, a, a certain kind of biology is really essential to consciousness. And they're going to say, no way, these things are just toasters. And both sides will be legitimate. They won't be kind of way out kooky views. These will be legitimate stands that you could take about which we should, as a community, be legitimately undecided. Equal so rights think, for zombies. So I think we're Sorry. we're entering this uh, we're entering this state where where it's likely that we will be confused about the moral status of our AI systems and and. Uh, I think, Mara Garson, I think that that's not a good state to be in. Right? I mean, because this is that, where... You know, uh, the force is a dilemma on you, a moral dilemma on you. Yeah, sorry, what were you going to say, Philip? No, no, sorry to interrupt you. I, the, I mean, this is where the shit we're going on about, this pointless philosophy nonsense, starts to really matter, doesn't it? Yeah. And this is what I'm writing about next week, actually, for the conversation about how... Look, we need to get philosophers in on these conversations. We're, we're starting to matter, not the... You know, I'd rather not matter, to be honest. I like doing <laughs> pointless stuff that's uh, intrinsically valuable. But yeah, I mean, the, you know, we, we really do need some, you know, otherwise Keith's going to get, you know, persuade everyone that, um, you know, it doesn't matter whether you have phenomenal consciousness. And uh, there we enter the dystopia. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I agree that I agree. I kind of just, just follow up. I, I agree that we have a role. Though I, I think, I think the role that. should be something like trying to to uh, <clears throat> uh, help people to have the debate. I don't think we we should be we should be telling people sure. what to think. I think no, we absolutely. should be uh, helping to inf to create and the debate 
and yeah. articulate the different options and yeah. help show people how to think about this. But I don't think we should be thinking about it for them. I think we should be helping them to think about it. Unless you have the right views and then it's okay because... Well, I, I, thank you, Philip. But, you know, I'd I, 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 I let others decide that. All right, let's go for some <laughs> questions. Uh, well, Mark O'Brien, disagreeable me on Twitter, was uh, very quick off the mark. I think he had it, he had it ready to go as soon as I said questions. Uh, he's got a couple. Uh, okay, anyway. What if the US is like a snail or chat GDP in that its suite of capacities is so dissimilar to humans or rabbits that it's simply indeterminate whether we should call it consciousness. I guess this was maybe what Keith was going for. Actually, that wasn't your first question. Uh, anyway, Gom, what do you think about that, Eric? Uh, I think that is a reasonable possibility, right? Yeah, so it might not, we shouldn't necessarily just be, you know, embrace a, a two-valued logic on this uh, regarding the U.S. Consciousness, consciousness. It could be conscious. It could be non-conscious or it could be in some indeterminate state in between. I do tend to think that if you apply standard materialist thinking out of the box without a bunch of post hoc noodling to try to exclude the U.S. from the positive cases, that it seems like the U.S. would be determinately a case, uh, 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 determinately conscious, right? But it's certainly an option. Uh, for materialists to say, oh, no, 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 this will be an intermediate case. And then they could maybe explain uh, why it's not just a determinately, a determinately conscious uh, entity. Thank you very much. And actually, this was Mark's first question. I pressed the wrong one. I'm just going to go through these in order. Uh, so what about the idea that consciousness is not one thing, but a complex of many different capacities? And if so, it's vague in a different way than a one-dimensional concept such as boldness. Uh, yeah, I think that's possible. I could see it going either way on that in terms of the vagueness, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm up for that. As, uh, yeah, I think there's various ways for the materialist out. There's the, the one I said, and if you're some kind of functionalist, then you could just say, you know, it's it's vague, which exact functional property. So it's I do think it's only if you adopt crazy anti-physicalist views that you get into trouble, in my humble opinion. Um... I'm trying to define the last question. Um, if you put a Q by... Is this a question? If the US is... Tim Smith. If the US is conscious with social structures, which social structures are most indicative of the of neural correlates or philosophical views? How informative is the model of the US having consciousness? Um, I don't want to commit to an answer on that question. I think it's going to... How you answer a question like that is going to depend... Uh, quite a bit on what, as a materialist, you think are the features in virtue of which something is, is conscious, right? So if you think, for example, that it's having higher order thoughts, then the things that are going to be most indicative of consciousness are going to be the representations that the group has of itself. If you think it's something like information sharing, then it's going to be a very different kind of process uh, that is at the core so, and I don't want to commit on, on that. And those are, of course, only two options among many. Yeah, fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. So, question from Anna Strasser, who, uh, as we've been saying, worked on this DigiDan project. What would an example of realization, uh, an example of a realization of behavior that shares enough in functional terms, but still seems rather implausible 
to assume consciousness. Just for people who don't, when we're talking about functionalism or functional, when we're talking about behavior, not just of the system, but the, but its parts as well. Yeah, that's a that's a great issue, and that's something that I've actually been working and talking uh, about with a bunch of other people organized um, by the Future of Humanity Institute. So we're thinking about, um, I guess, one way of thinking about it, a, a phrase I've sometimes heard and like, is uh, the problem of minimal instantiations. So let's ta- say you take a global workspace view of consciousness, on which basically to be conscious is to have a system that has some kind of central uh, capacity to share information, you know, and lots of subsystems that are attached to it. Seems like you can make a super simple computer program that has that those features, right? And then it seems like you'd have this super simple thing that is actually conscious. And that seems pretty unintuitive. So that then forces the global workspace theorist into a dilemma. Either say, oh yeah, my theory says that even pretty simple computer systems would be conscious if they're implemented, you know, in the way I just described, or kind of develop their view and say, okay, no, wait, 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 let's talk about like what really you need to do in order to have a workspace and get more specific on those details, uh, which they haven't always done, right? So, um, so I think that's the kind of question and issue that comes out of thinking about these unintuitively minimal instantiations of what we think of, what, what materialists sometimes advance as criteria indicative of consciousness. Oh, was a off the wall question for Keith here. How do you explain the map of the US falling off the wall at just the right time? Checkmate illusionism. It's blown my mind. It's shaken my faith in everything. <laughs> okay, uh, Mridal Mohan. If the U.S. is conscious, interesting question here. If the U.S. is conscious, what can we say about the kinds of qualia that it has? What is it like to be the U.S.? <laughs> I wisely decline to to say that you, I know. That's cheating. What that's it's cheating. like? To be yeah, that's cheating. Hey, come on, you got to go one way or the other on this, Eric. Have you not? Have you not talked to it? <laughs> You're not on my chat for nothing, if Eric. The, if the U.S. gets angry, right, it denounces people in UN meetings and forces embargoes right. and it's that kind of cross. anger might be felt very differently from human anger and anger might not even be the best word to describe these things but like what it's what it feels like to enforce an embargo hmm i don't have much insight into that uh queerdo friend of the show how does crazyism respond to analytic idealism or any kind of cosmopsychist idealism what would be bizarre about that? So various kinds of idealism or the universe is conscious or there's a fundamental kind of mental reality underlying physical reality. What's crazy about that? Common sense <laughs> has been for a lot of human history. Actually, to add to that, uh, reading your paper uh, again in preparation for this. Yeah, I mean, you sort of say, oh, everyone agrees. The section on this is very short. You sort of say everyone agrees on this. But I mean, OK, and analytic philosophy but i mean i guess you know for a lot of human history a lot of societies have been very open to animism or idealism or something so maybe it's not so crazy Mm, i disagree about that i think idealism has always been uh yeah crazy or wild or unintuitive or bizarre in its cultural contexts right so if we take like barclay's idealism 
Barkley says, you know, it's really strange, and usually I like common sense, right? But people have this strange idea that sensible objects continue to perceive, continue to exist when no one's perceiving them, and they have some existence outside of our mind. You know, how strange the ordinary person thinks that, right? So in that context, Barkley knew that his idealism was unintuitive. An, an opinion right? Or if we look at, like, probably the most developed uh, non-Western historical accounts of idealism are in the Indian tradition, right? In the Indian tradition, those people, those philosophers recognize that their idealist views are radically at variance with the ordinary common sense views of their era, right? So it was a respectable position for sure for philosophers to take in that era, but they saw it as not the common sense view, but a view that you arrive at through either meditative practice or through rigorous philosophical training and discussion. Fair enough. Mark O'Brien's going for a third question. Uh, is it if it's indeterminate whether the US is conscious, is that sufficiently crazy for crazyism? I guess this is also again what Keith yeah. is getting at. You know, if it's just a sort of indeterminate, then that's not really crazy, is it? Uh, that might not be sufficiently crazy for crazyism. Um, so, but I think there are other uh, materialist things that are that are plenty bizarre once you start to think about them. It's my my case for the bizarreness of materialism is not rest upon only uh, the U.S. consciousness case. So do you want to maybe give one, one more example of a crazy implication of materialism, maybe? Or, um, or maybe so, it's a bit late to go into this. Yeah, it's kind of complicated. Um, my other well-developed case is probably too complicated to present in this in the time that we have. But let me just say the, the less complicated thing is that if you look at particular materialist theories developed in detail, like consciousness is 40 hertz oscillations in parts of the brain uh, uh, corresponding to an attended object, right? And you say, that's what consciousness is. You know, ordinary people are like, mm, how? <laughs> right? So so when it's vague it's when the materialism is kept vague it's kind of it's kind of easy to just kind of let it slide by but the more you get into the specifics the more i think you do run against uh those intuitions that people have sometimes pretty strongly uh, against a, certain aspects of it the moral there is that is, is absolutely consciousness just is vague i mean now that's Fame in the brain, you know. This is the these are the sort of theories we want. We don't want a hard edge theory because it's not a hard edge. Yes, we theory. do. And it's the attempt to impose a hard edged conception on it because, no. it's, because it's nature's revealed to us, or because we think we need some nailed down mathematical formula for it that drives us into these these crazy positions. I mean, all. it's. I mean, would you try to do? I mean, would you try to do? Try to do this for life or any sort of? Uh, I mean, th these are useful notions. They, you know, they help us articulate. You know, our, 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 you know, what's happening with us and so on. Yes, but don't don't try to do make them do work they were never designed to do. You know, that might, what's a theory of the sky? You know, how big is the sky? Uh, where does it end? You know, it's, can you give nailed down conditions for something being part of the sky? We don't have immediate acquaintance to the sky, Keith. Indeed, that's the point. <laughs> Hoisted by your own petard. That's another expression Americans don't get, does it? Hoist, do you know that one, Eric? Yeah, I do know that one. You do? Okay. Uh, yeah. 
Although yeah, I think people don't know the, the the origin of it or exactly what it means. Right. Shakespeare. Load up by your it? own bomb. Yep. <laughs> um, final question, monistic idealism, is asking a, a, a twist on the same. How does a cosmopsychist look at the US being conscious in which the whole is prior to the parts? I, I guess you're going to say that's another crazy view anyway. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, right. And let me put us just start. We've been using the word crazy a lot, and I'm fine with that. And that's the word I used. I've been moving away from it um, in my recent work just because it sounds a little too negative and possibly it has some kind of uh, ableist implications. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Um, I've been using wild now instead of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good point, actually. But yeah, Maybe no. So uh, in terms of. Yeah, I think cosmopsychism is a pretty wild view already. Yeah. <laughs> Good but just, point. Just to be clear, if the United States is conscious, it is the greatest consciousness on Earth, right? Someone has said on Facebook that uh, if it's conscious, we should wake it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we should, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, it might be really grouchy if we wake it up and it doesn't want to get up <laughs> Anna's telling me in the content con comments I'm sorry to say there are lots of empty questions I should read part of it I, I am happy across the board to think there are a lot of empty questions I'm just not so sure about with respect to consciousness but um, yeah so well this has actually been an absolutely fascinating discussion and we've learned a lot Thanks so much, Eric, for taking Absolutely. so much of your time to chat with us. We should do it again sometime. And let yeah. me just encourage and everyone to read Eric's work because although Eric is a professional philosopher and writes for professional right, publishers in uh, philosophical journals, his work is very easy to read. Uh, it's very accessible. Um, oh. And uh, everyone should read it. It's fast. And his, his fiction, too. Tell my wife that. <laughs> she doesn't agree. She doesn't like your philosophy or your fiction or either? Uh, she doesn't find it easy to read. Let's put it that way. But well, I do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding a little bit. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so? So, no, but I mean, I think what, I'm, what I've been surprised at in this discussion, actually, though, you know, is it has turned out, despite all the disagreements... I think, you know, we can all agree, you know, that con consciousness is, whether in the U.S. or not, it is wherever it is. And nowhere else. Uh, well, you know, if you accept a two-valued logic for vague predicates, then. 